We finished another course of the mental health first aid training and we had, you know, 17 new um, first aiders out in our community having those conversations and um, a beautiful outcome was, was one of the guys texting to say, I went to footy training um, on Thursday night and one of the guys was struggling and I knew what to do. Yeah. And you think, oh, oh that, that's, that, yeah, it is, it's, it's a fabulous outcome. This is Reignited, where together we will meet interesting people who have a curious message for the world. They'll tell us about their experiences so that we can all reignite our lives. Mental health is something that is so important in our world and I'm delighted today to welcome John Mannion from the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. And we're going to talk about mental health because recently with COVID and isolation, it is something that has come to the surface although it's something that I love talking about all the time because I think it's so important. So welcome, John. Thanks very much, Belle. And um, before we get into why it's so important that we focus on our mental health, you have some symbols there. So what did you choose to I introduce did. yourself today? Um, this was probably the hardest question I've been asked for a long time. Um, so I've come out with three very different sort of symbols. Um, so the first one, I've gone with the old boot. Um, and for some reason, it reminded me of my dad, and I'm not quite sure why. But um, the, the boot really symbolised, obviously, you can tell from the accent, I'm not South Australian born and bred, but I'm very, very proud South Australian. Yeah. Um, so I love travel, and the whole family loves to travel. Um, so that sort of symbolised it. We're always uh, enjoying that journey, and uh, we look forward to the opportunity of being able to take some more trips abroad or yeah. or use this time to actually explore our own beautiful state. Yeah, so that would be fabulous. So that sense of travel and going places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. very much so. Um, I'll save that one. I'll swap them around. Um, the dog, um, everyone in my team knows and loves my uh, family groodle called Ted. Okay. Uh, and uh, Ted is this most affectionate dog. He's four, four years old. Um, and we had a, a team away day and they, they came to my house to have the away day. And there's a beautiful photograph of Ted sitting on his, on his blanket um, looking up at the facilitator and he just watched him for an hour and just wow. watched everything. So, uh, but he's uh, incredibly affectionate and he knows when things aren't right. Um, so um, he'll come and talk at you when things aren't right. He, he's, yeah. he's quite, quite comical with that, but he's, he's beautiful. And, aren't, aren't pets amazing in in what they can give us? Oh, absolutely fabulous. Um, we, we, we got Ted, um, my wife unfortunately lost uh, both of her parents very, very close together. Um, and we got Ted as, as part of that um, bonding, and he's actually named after Claire's dad. Oh, uh, so that's, that's where the name comes from. Um, and he's probably about the same size as Ted, because Ted was, was quite a tiny man, yep. um, but, but full of energy and, and full of, of love and compassion. And I think, uh, you know, we've, we've got a Groodle that does the same thing for yeah, us. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And my last one is, is the heart, and, and that's because I do wear my heart on my sleeve. Um, I... Love what I do. Um, I'm incredibly passionate about it, and I'm now into. We're think, chatting about this the other day. I'm, I'm now into 32 years of working in the mental health arena, and um, still feel as passionate about what I do now than when I did, did that very first day when I worked on a, a mental health ward in in the northwest of England. So, um, and constantly learning about it. I think our hearts enable us to do that because it gets to look at things in a different way. Yeah, definitely. So. Isn't it interesting the things, the symbols that you've chosen to introduce yourself are all related to mental health in some way, yeah, like yeah. either things that help you um, or remind you. But why are you so passionate about mental health? What is it about it? Oh, it's a great question. Um, believe it or not, when, when I was looking at what career I was going to go into, um, I nearly became a police officer. Okay. I, was, I was going through all the applications for, for, for the police and been accepted for my interviews, et cetera. 
And uh, my, my parents um, were, were beautiful and, and very, very, very caring and loving, but didn't often give the greatest advice from a career perspective, apart from this time when my mum was just very bold and said, you're too nice to be a police officer. Um, <laughs> and so... Um, she just said, oh, you've got a great many other different skills. Look at, look at something that, you know, you, you really truly believe in. Um, and, you know, caring for people, connecting with people was something really important to me. Um, but I didn't want to necessarily go into be um, a general nurse, um, not necessarily sure about you know, the blood and the gore all that time. Um, but I was really interested in, in, in people and what makes people who they are and how they think and how they act, et cetera. Um, so I took the plunge and said, well, let's explore this mental health piece and what that might look like. Um, and so, yeah, I went off and, and did my mental health nurse training that then later went into become doing my social work training. And then um, that then translated then into sort of like leadership. Um, and my journey on that was that I was always really uh, fascinated by people and, and, and how our policies, procedures, practice all change, but also how important it was to actually connect with the person this was actually happening to. Mm. Um, and realised that if I really wanted to change that arena and change the environment in which we were in, I couldn't necessarily do that as a nurse on a ward, but I could actually do that if we're actually then shaping policy, procedure, practice, um, and then what's the strategy and how that might change, because then you obviously then get a, an opportunity to have a bigger impact for people. Um, but then never forgetting the fact that everything was always about a person, so I actually love mm. sitting down with people. I love having conversations with people and finding out what's important to them. Um, and sort of growing our sort of mental health services and our own knowledge in mental health every day. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm an expert. Um, I say I'm still learning, and mm. I think that's that's important for us. Yeah, I think that's an important concept for all of us is that we we never know it all. We're constantly learning, and particularly when you're dealing with humans and the human condition, it is mm. about what is happening for that person and how can I be human to human and have yeah. that contact. Mm. So. You've worked in mental health for a long time in policy and as a nurse. What have you seen evolve over this time? Because I know we talk about it or maybe I'm in the arena so I sort of think about mental health a lot. What have you seen evolve over all of these years? Like where yeah. are we at? Where are we at? Um, it was interesting when I first came to Australia. Someone once said to me, oh, you, you, you love Australia. It's a beautiful place um, but the mental health arena is about 15 years behind where you've come from. Okay. And I was first of all thought, oh, surely can't be the case. You know, we've gone through these big transitions of, of making sure we're looking at person-centred care. We were looking at, you know, transitioning and caring for people in the community, moving away from larger hospitals, all those sort of things. And so when I arrived in Adelaide, which is, you know, 11 years ago, um, we were just going through quite a lot of that transition and change. So I could understand what people were saying by the saying, oh, you, you, you've gone back a little bit. But it actually hadn't gone back a bit, little bit. It actually was in a position where it had some opportunity to drive really informed change and learn from others' mistakes. Mm. And I think that was really interesting when I arrived here. Um, from a mental health wider piece, um, the mental health conversation has never been so strong. Yeah. You know, we, 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 you know I, I remember someone saying, wouldn't it be fabulous if we have the, the mental health conversation the same way as we have the physical health conversation? You know, we get up in the morning, we ask our partner, how's your headache, your aches, your pains? but we never ask them, how's your mental health and well-being? It's not a conversation we have. And it's not necessarily a conversation we perhaps have over the dinner table. But why is that? And, mm. you know, so um, so I think we're talking about it more. Where we're raising the profile about it more. Um, the challenge is how do we change the conversation into listening? How do we then change the listening into actions? How do we change the actions into meaningful change? Yeah, I really love and I, that. And I think that's, that's this exciting part we're at. Um, so I think talking about it is, powerful 
listening to people share their own personal lived experiences, incredibly powerful. Putting that then with a connection and joining that together, you know, you could change anything when you do that. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think with that listening, it's allowing the person to have space mm. to actually talk about how they are. And I know I've heard you talk about, um, and I've talked about this as well, that's, that concept of how do you actually ask someone how they are? Yeah, yeah. Um, and what, what's your suggestion for that? Oh, you know the answer to this one. Yeah, I do. <laughs> so, 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 so it, it is that that you know. That I, I love the concept of "Are you okay?" I think it's a powerful, powerful concept. Um, and by asking that that initial question, um, but we've got to remember that most people will go, "I'm okay, thanks," because that's yeah. you know that's what we do. We we quite private until someone then says, "Well, how are you really?" You know, and asking it that second time, the second time will often get a different answer. Yeah, and it's that that's often the time when someone realizes actually you're asking me because you actually are interested and you actually want to know the answer yeah um so i think the conversation and 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 building up the confidence to have that conversation is is really really a powerful thing i think it's also if if someone opens up to you about their mental health challenge um actually i think that's that's quite an honor that you might have made someone feel safe enough to have that conversation so it's really important that we just listen to what they're saying it's not that, that we need to know all the answers but the important part is people that feel connected um, you have that compassionate approach to somebody that you actually spend time and you stopped and listen to them. Um, and then equally important that you actually recheck back in. Because if someone's like, oh, I've had that conversation, if we don't check back in, then we've perhaps missed that incredible opportunity. Um, so have that confidence to check back in, but also the confidence you don't have to have the answers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's something that um, I think about, you know, and relating it to physical health is, is a good parallel. Mm. That thing of if someone broke their leg, I might do a bit of first aid, but then I actually seek the help of the people who know how to mm, mend yeah. that leg. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think mental health is is similar in that way, that sometimes when someone reveals to us that they're not okay, we feel like we need to fix it, yet there's other ways and other people that we can tap into as mm. well. Um, what's the key to listening, do you think? Because I love this concept and and know how important it is to provide that space for people to be heard mm-hmm. um, and for the person who's listening not to get in the way. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think the key to listening is is stopping yourself asking too many questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I always remember um, there was a gentleman I was looking after and uh, he, he was a, a young guy who, who um, actively heard voices. And uh, I remember going and doing, doing his home visits and, and I'd ask the first question, oh, how, how are you going today, Rich? And get no answer, and then then I start to panic. Think I've got to fill that void. I've got to ask the next question, and then I go, well, you know, what's the plan today? And he go, I'm fine, thanks, John. And so he basically answered the question prior to yeah. everyone I asked, until the one day when I actually then plucked up the courage to say, Rich, what, what's what's happening? When I asked that question, there was a delay, and he said to me, I have to validate an answer with you with my voice. Mm. I have to argue. My voice will be saying not very nice things about you. And I will argue with it and say, John's always been there for me or he's helped me do this. And then I could answer. And he said to us, so I asked him then, do you have that with every conversation you have? And he said, yes. And I said, well, how hard is it for you to go to the shop then? Just yeah. to you know, to do those sort of tasks. And, and that was one of those light bulb moments where it actually said, said to me that if you ask a question, give the space to find the answer and let them have that answer. Don't bombard the next one, the next one. And part of that is because we feel uncomfortable. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so offer that time and, and, and listen um, and then ref- reflect that back as well to show you have actually been listening. 
And also, I remember that, that, that whole concept of, you know, never trying to problem solve while you're listening to what someone's saying, because if you're pro- trying to problem solve, you're actually not listening to what they're saying. So you're going to pro- possibly miss something. Yeah. So how do you then just listen and then reflect and then ask another question that might help them and then ask, how would you like me to help? Are there some things you'd like me to do with this? You know, so, so it keeps that meaningful engagement going. Um, because people want to have the connection. People want to feel listened to and, and feel validated and feel loved. That's, that's one of our basic human needs. Mm-hmm. Um, the important part for me then is if you have had that conversation, then how would you then make sure you go back and don't not reconnect? So, yeah. and, and that's really hard because we all live in very, very busy lives. And there's been times when I've not gone back to people and I'm going, oh, I got that wrong. Oh, and and you, you, you want to try and rebuild that relationship again. Um, so get into that point where you can have a conversation with somebody, get someone to feel that they can trust you, have a conversation in a safe space, you know, yeah. try and find somewhere where someone feels comfortable, you know, and, and some of those conversations can be in the most bizarre places. I remember a colleague telling me that uh, she had a, a full-on mental health Thursday conversation while she was marking a player at football who she knew wasn't well. Yes. And and they had this conversation. No one knew, knew they had it, and they were doing it in the middle of a game. Yeah. That, um, and I think that's a really important thing is that it doesn't have to be that big deal, I'm going to sit down on the couch and do a therapy session with mm. you. It is actually the side-by-side staff or you're in a context and the window is there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is to take that window. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. And, yeah, some of those, I think I've done my, my sort of my best mental health conversations when I've been putting up a shelf in somebody's house. Uh, when I've been helping them do the weed the garden yeah. things like that, you know, um, the the therapeutic conversation in the clinical room is often a little bit difficult. <laughs> yeah, I started out working with adolescents um, yeah. in many different fields, and yeah, I used to find the drive in the car was a spectacular space. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a safe and sometimes space. Sometimes I de- yeah. deliberately get a little bit lost, so it, yeah. the conversation could keep going. Yeah, not that they knew that. <laughs> <laughs> now you talk about, um, you know, obviously you've worked in mental health as a nurse. There's a whole spectrum um, of health Mm. Um, and I guess, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm sort of thinking how has that evolved? You know, once upon a time I think people would think that if you had mental health issues it means that you need to be in an institution and locked up and all of this stuff. So obviously that is to help people and for them to get well. But there's also we're stressed and burnt out, um, depression, all of the things that happen, um, what do you sort of think about how we look after our mental health when we're on that whole spectrum whole of spectrum, wellness? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, big question, Belle. Yeah, um, I like to ask the big Yeah, ones. yeah, how long have we got? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I suppose it, when, when you're looking at that is, is everybody has mental health. Hmm. We have physical health, we have mental health. Not everyone has mental ill health. So when, when we start to have the negative impacts of what's actually happening to us and then when those neg- negative impacts actually stop us being able to fulfil our, our everyday activities or take enjoyment from our everyday activities, we will all have feelings. You know, we're going through COVID at the moment. This is the most unusual situation we've ever faced. Yeah. Uh, and will be a once-in-the-lifetime scenario for us. Um, so to feel sad, uncertain, frustrated, anxious, these are all normal feelings for what's actually happening to us at the moment. They're not necessarily mental health issues, mm. but they are part of our mental well-being. well-being. Um, when they then start to impact, so if we're waking up and we've got, we've got anxiety feelings the moment we wake up and those feelings don't go out away at all, 
um, when we've got feelings of hopelessness and, and that dread to everything that takes place, um, when we're not able to connect with our family and friends and then we start to avoid connecting with family and friends, that's when it's becoming an issue for us. So I suppose when we're looking at how do we measure and monitor ourselves, it's do we actually know what we're actually looking out for? So, yeah. you know, do we know that if we've got feelings of hopelessness or we've got feelings of agitation or our behaviour's changed um, or we've actually stopped caring for ourselves, these are perhaps four of the triggers we should be looking out for about our mental health state. So if we know that knowledge and we know that they're, they're becoming pressure points and then we look at the behaviour that comes from them, so I've stopped connecting, I've stopped avoiding people, I'm not going out to the shop, etc. we now need to know that this is actually impacting who we are and what can we actually do about it? And then giving ourselves permission to do something about it. Because yeah. often we're quite tough on ourselves, aren't we? And we, we set very, very high standards on ourselves. Yeah. But when was the last time you actually said, actually, it's actually okay to feel sad today? That's actually appropriate to what's happening around us. We don't do it because it's not no, deemed as, as... and the shoulds come in, you know. We no, should all should over in. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. So I suppose if we can know what the triggers are and what's important to us, and then look at, well, what are the things I can actually do about that? So, you know, do I give myself permission... To, to feel like this for the moment. Do I then give myself permission to actually go and seek help, to put my hand up, to reach out? Who are the people I'd like to do that with? Who do I feel safe that I can do that with? And then if it's becoming a wider issue, then who do I go and get that support from? So, yeah. And that might be from, you know, first, first protocol from, from your GP. It might be a family friend. Um, I loved a, a presentation once where um, someone was talking about, you know, first responders. And they were talking, you know, when we, we think about that, we always think about, you know, doctors, nurses, firemen, police officers, etc. And it was the uh, children's commissioner and she said, oh, can I just pose another question for you? He said, you know, a first responder for a child is their best friend. Yeah. So how, how do we then know who we can actually reach out to? You know, if it's younger people and it's, 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 it's their, their friend in the, in the playground, how do we give them the skills to have that conversation and, and not feel that it's a pressure point, but it actually becomes that normal? Yeah. And one thing that I've been very passionate about and verbal about whenever I've done talks is, is that that concept of trying to normalise when you're not okay um, and what to do with that, you know, that sense of not getting to crisis before you can mm. seek help. Um, you know, in my rooms I quite often see people where it, they've had enough and they've crashed. Mm-hmm. Um, but wouldn't it be great if you could notice the signs in yourself um, and go and have like a tune-up, you know, for a car. We go and get our car service exactly. before it breaks down. Yeah. Well, some people do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, are we we should be the same. Um, yeah, I think we, we, we need one of those little red flashing lights that comes up on the yeah, dashboard, yeah. don't we? Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. But I think one of the challenges with that is is that, you know, despite the mental health conversation business so strong, we're actually still facing real stigma and discrimination. That, yeah. You know, so when you, you look at um, why don't people actually reach out. Um, a lot of people, it's because um, I don't think anyone else can understand what's happening to me. Yeah, for um, sure. If I raise it, will I be deemed as a weak person? Um, I, I, you know, I was looking at you know, the, the um, federal announcement last week about the, the next investment in, in, in mental health and, and you know, you're reading the Facebook trolls and, 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 and you've still got people in there saying, oh, people should just toughen up. And we're yeah. going, you know, that's, thought we're that's, past that. I thought we were well past that, but yeah. obviously we're not. And if that's what people are feeling, um, do they feel safe to actually go and put the hand up and, and, and reach out? And we should be getting to a point where this is a normal conversation because you rightly said right at the start, mm. if I broke my leg, I'd be actually going and getting the help for it. Yeah. So what's the difference in breaking your leg to actually having severe anxiety that's stopping me going out of my house? 
Yeah. What's definitely. the difference? There's no difference in that whatsoever. Yeah. And we have come a very long way, but there's still a way to go. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And as you were talking before, I was reminded of in the workshops I do in organisations, quite often the question I ask is, how are you and how do you know? Um, so that concept of we all have certain behaviours um, and when we're not doing so well, some of those things go by the wayside or, you know, there's certain things that come out. Mm. And I think that's something that's very interesting to come back to. Mm. So how do you know when someone's not doing okay? Like what do you think are some of the... Some things to look at. The pinpoints, yeah. Oh, well, the, the pinpoints is, you know, um, first of all, we, always, we think about how we think about things. So what's our thoughts? What's our processes, our perceptions? So, you know, so have we got that feeling of hopelessness, that feeling that I, I'm not actually valued or um, my point of view is not actually valid, um, that, um, that the way in which I'm thinking about my relationships with people and, and people don't want to be with me, etc. So have our thought processes altered or changed? Um, have our behaviours altered and changed? So are we seeing a change that would be my normal? So um, am I feeling more frustrated, more agitated? Have there been bouts of, you know, aggressive outbursts, et cetera, which would be totally against how I would normally portray myself? And then uh, my presentation. So, you know, I've got my ISO beard at the moment, but, you know, if, <laughs> if, if that wasn't normal for it, you know, how, how am I looking? You know, so normally really smart, very tidy, all of a sudden being more unkept, not looking after myself, my personal hygiene's altered and changed. So we'll see changes in, in those sort of areas. And if you see that in one of your friends, then then that's a good starting point for a conversation just yeah. to say, you know, how are you doing, Bella? I'm just a little bit worried, um, a bit concerned because this isn't how you normally are. Is everything okay? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and then, you, of course, you'll say to me, of course I'm fine. I said, oh, okay, all right. But you wouldn't normally come out um, dressed like that today, on, on you know, or... Mm. or, or I saw you really upset about something the other day and normally you're the one that actually drives that conversation, you know, yeah. so, so you can play off the observations you've made um, yeah. and, and obviously try and make it about a we conversation, you know, that, that yeah, what, what could we do together and not just I'm putting this onto you. Um, so so they're the, they're the sort of things I'd be looking out yeah. for in, in sort of fan for, and, and the challenge is often we can miss them. Yeah. We're, we're all guilty of missing them. Yeah. It might be like, oh, Belle's just in a grumpy mood today, but in actual yeah. fact, there's mm. something mm. Underneath, underneath that that yeah. can really um, help. Why do you think we're so scared to address it? Well, I still think, you know, as we said before, there's still that stigma piece that sits there. You know, you know people are trying to move away from the stigma conversation, but, you know, it, it is actually still there. You mm. know, it, you know, people are concerned that if I, I say I'm struggling in this, am I then not deemed as a worthy member of the team uh, will people not ask me to do those jobs if someone would not give that to john because you know he'll, he'll just crumble about it he'll get too anxious so let's not ask him mm. and it might have just been one time where i said oh this is too much for me yeah yeah um so i still think that actually sits there um the repercussions of that you know we, we, we have a whole that set of frameworks that actually don't help people who are experiencing mental health challenges you know you try and get travel insurance if you've had a mental health challenge you try yeah. and get life insurance if you have that so even those fundamental things that sit underneath it uh, are mm. still very very complex for us um so i think people still have that if i try and reach out will i get the answer there was a, a piece of research done by movember where they actually asked a group of men um in relation to um you know you, you've put your hand up and, and said you're experiencing mental health challenges what was the outcome i think it was three out of five said they wish they hadn't done it yeah Wow. So, so, you know, that's still incredibly powerful. Because there's powerful. consequences? Because there's still consequences sitting yeah. there, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's something that um, 
you're part of a research foundation, yes, so yeah. obviously you're looking into that. Yeah. Um, that sort of, you know, how do we break that down and and make it that there's not those consequences, mm. so people can actually seek the help yeah. um, that and, they and, need. And you've only got a lot of that from, you know, our, our obviously the, the suicide rates and you know the eight um, Australians that, that lose their life um, to, to, to their mental health challenge every, every day, um, and, and three quarters of those are men. So, yeah. so what is the that 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 men don't feel safe to ask the question or put the hand up or that the only way they can escape the trauma they're feeling is is to escape their life? Yeah. Um. So we still got you know there's immense work being done in this arena and and trying to drive that change and trying to break down the barriers and trying to look at the language that's used. Um. I was reading the newspaper yesterday and it was talking about you know the 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 um the Cy Walsh scenario and and the press spoke about slained. Adelaide coach mm. and you look at that language and you go the language there it just passes a very very different angle to what is actually really happening there so I still think the way in which we talk about things and, and the way in which we challenge that and how can you challenge yeah. that, that sort of language um, I think that there's, a, there's an important responsibility for us all to look at there yeah definitely and something that needs a lot more awareness mm. and, and looking at and um, I know I did a talk on Are You OK Day and one of the things that people fed back to me was I talked about the suicide conversation, about whether someone's going to kill themselves or not and how important it is to use clear, direct language mm. rather than the comment of you're not going to do anything silly, are you? Um, which leaves no room for them to actually yeah. talk about how they actually are. Mm. Um, but I think language is a really important part of, of this conversation as well. Yeah, it is. It is, and I think... Um I, I always say to people, you know, if you're going to have the mental health conversation, you know what, as difficult as it might be for you, it's probably more difficult for the person you're going to have it with. So yeah. let, let's break that down. Yeah. If you don't have it, or if you ask somebody how they're feeling, and they go, I'm fine, thanks. The worst that's going to happen to you is you'll feel a bit embarrassed for asking it. But imagine though something happened and you didn't ask it mm. and how, how you would feel around that. Um, and then that, that whole concept about asking outright and, and feeling confident to do that. Um, we've gone from, you know, um, many years ago when I first started, oh, you don't, don't ask that question because if you ask it, there's a risk you might actually put that thought into the mind. There's no evidence whatsoever that's actually yeah. going to happen. We know that's actually not the case. Um, so, yeah, it is about being clear, not being ambiguous without the language we actually use and, yeah. and feeling confident to do that. And yeah. um, So I think, yeah, we've got a long way to go, but we're having more people doing this, which is fabulous. You know, yeah. we just finished uh, just just before... The COVID outbreak, we, we finished uh, another course of the mental health first aid training and we had, you know, 17 new um, uh, first aiders out in our community having those conversations. And um, a beautiful outcome was was one of the guys texting to say, I went to footy training um, on Thursday night and one of the guys was struggling and I knew what to do. Yeah. And you think, oh, oh that, that that's that. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a fabulous outcome. And um, if we can roll that out and having more people have feeling confident to have the mental health conversation, be it through an Are You OK, be it through mental health first aid, any way in which we're making the mental health conversation normal, then the outcomes are going to change for us. Yeah, because, you know, your friends are, you're going around to your friend's house and when they're not doing okay, you know, you're the person who's there and you can yeah. have that conversation. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So during COVID, um, the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation have talked about a concept called STREAM. Yeah. Would you like to talk to us a little bit about what does that mean? I will then? do. I knew you were going to ask that. Now, now, <laughs> now I'm going to dread myself in case I get it wrong. Um, so um, Breakthrough is, is aligned with uh, Flinders University and also with SAMRI. And as part, um, one of the um, streams within, within the university is the Arama um, Institute for Mental Health and Wellbeing. 
and uh, Professor Mike Kyrgios is, is the director. And Mike came up um, with the concept of stream, um, really to start to look at, and Mike's a psychologist, um, and he wanted to sort of look at, well, well, what are the things we can actually do and be mindful of during this period of time when it's a real change? You know, we were going through, you know, this, this whole concept of, of, of um, social isolation as people were viewing it as, and was it really a social isolation or was it actually a physical isolation to cope with a physical impact? Yeah, and for as long as I can remember, I think there's something in that universality that sort of worked for all of us because it's like everyone's experiencing this on some level. Yeah, and yeah. so there's an understanding of each other and what everyone's going through. Yeah, it was. And, in and, various degrees. Yeah. yeah, and I think Mike wanted to look at that. So he, he came up with Stream. So you're going to test me now. So, so right, the, I've so got it written down. you got it written down. I'll try and look over your cup. So the, the, the S stood then for the, the social networking. So what it was basically saying is although we're actually changing our physical structure and, and 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 moving ourselves away that didn't mean that we actually disconnected socially you know so look at ways in which we remain in, in connected so you know through your phone calls through your text messages through your zooms your teams and um, through your house parties all yeah. of these are really really important ways that we still remain connected because one of the biggest risks when we go through what, what we've occurred is is that social isolation then can become a massive impact mm. and we already know i think you know, when the um, South Australian Mental Health Commission went out to the community and asked them what's their challenge in the mental health arena. It didn't come back that our mental health service is broken. It said we're, we're isolating. Yeah. yeah, And we know the negative impact of isolation on mental health and well-being. So how do we remain connected? And looking at the T was about your time out. You're now going to be spending more time with people that you probably haven't been spending a lot of time with <laughs> because we're all going to work, etc. So how do you build in time out that in this new structure that you actually have, you have time out for yourself? Um, but also you might have building some breaks from each other as well, because if you're actually spending a lot of time together, you know, there's a risk there of, of higher levels of friction, et cetera. And then there was that concern that yeah. that's going to have that increase on sort of domestic violence, et cetera. Yeah. So how do you build in that that sort of space? Yeah, I think that time out, you know, because in our everyday life, you don't spend 24-7 with your partner. Yeah. 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 And um, I know a family member I asked the other day, what's what's the thing you're most looking forward to when... Um, this is all over. And one one of them said getting a massage and the other one said having time alone. Mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, it like is, yeah. And that's a secure, solid relationship. Mm, mm. Yeah. And so, so I think it's, you know, it's important that we, we look at how we build that in. Mm. Um, next one then, uh, where it's R, so that was relaxation. So looking about, well, what are the ways in which you can positively look after your own mental health and well-being? And we can do that in lots of different ways. You know, I think one of the incredible things about COVID, it's given us this, this sort of recheck. Let, let's, mm. let's pause the button. Let's Let's look at a few things. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the whole concepts of, of, of all these uh, YouTube um, programs from, from your yoga, your relaxation, your mm. mindfulness, all, all these things are giving us that opportunity to, to relax. But also then, you know, you can do that by, you know, it's actually okay to sit and watch a Netflix show. You yeah. know? And um, I was laughing at the weekend because uh, someone said to me, well, what did you do on Saturday? And, and we just sat and watched number of shows on Netflix <laughs> and I can't remember the last time we ever did that at home yeah um, but it was a beautiful day and I felt relaxed and and recharged from it which is totally against what I would normally do for me if I haven't filled my day with lots of things I normally think oh I've wasted a day yeah um, I, I watched seven shows on that day and actually really enjoyed it and, and yeah. so so it was appropriate at that time to actually do that for and us and that's that switching off and not having to be anything or do anything or just yeah. being in the moment being in the moment yeah very much getting so. lost in yeah. Netflix eh? it is um <laughs> You then come to your E, yep. so that was then looking about the exercise and how do we build in activities. So that then might be your yoga, it might be going out for your walk, it might be looking at how you go for a run or, or, or you know manage your own um, sort of uh, energy levels. And part of that, again, is the fact that we're now stopped being active. You know, mm. I, I normally 
walking around, I'm normally going between meetings, I'm normally getting into my car, driving, etc. And all of a sudden I've got six hours of Zoom meetings. Yeah. How do you actually then get up and stretch? How do you actually get up and look after your physical well-being? Because we know that clear connection between physical well-being and mental well-being, uh, you know, are intertwined. Yeah, and the body um, holds a lot of emotion and and tension yeah, um, as well, so, so it's releasing that. Yeah, and so we know that na- natural release of endorphins and that natural um, uh, buzz when we've actually done a physical activity. Yeah. You know, you have that dread when you pick your sports bag up, but you have that elation when you come back, don't yeah. you? Yeah. yeah, and entertainment's part of that as well, it I think, is- with the E... Um, that not everyone might be into the gym, no, you know, yeah. physical stuff, mm. but whatever your thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and looking at different ways in which you can do that. So, you know, the, the, there's been um, some fabulous quizzes where people have connected, you know, there's the, my family uh, did a, a Eurovision quiz at the weekend yeah. and they all connected in through Zoom to actually do it, et cetera. So it was all, all very much a way in which you can have that little bit of escapism. Yeah. Which links nicely into A, which then is about what's the alternative thinking. Mm. How do you change the way in which we view and stuff? When the pandemic hit, everyone, we all, we're all online. We're getting bombarded with messages, information. We're getting, you know, these are the things we need to be watching out for. We're changing the way in which we're actually living our lives. Um, and the concern then is we get information overload. So how do you know what you should trust? How do you know what information we should be reading? How do we know what's actually going to be happening to us? At a time when there were so many different questions. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah, so and it's one of the know. reasons why I don't watch the news. Um, yeah. Because I feel like I have information overload yeah. and I deal with people's heavy stuff every day. Yeah. Um, there's something about the news that, I mean, I obviously keep up to date with world events and things mm-hmm. like that. But for me my and my own mental health, I, I just can't absorb that no. much stuff no. because yeah. it's like it's everything. Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and, and there is, a, I remember... Someone posed a question, you know, during this period of time of COVID, um, um, how do we know which piece of information to trust? Mm. So um, for me and, and my wife, she, she works in, in, in the history of, in the health profession, so she's always really looking at what this, where this sits and fits, et cetera. And she found herself getting, there was just too much information coming in and that actually wasn't being positive for her own well-being. Mm. Um, so how do we actually minimise that and change that thought process? So, so things like, well, we'll just go to one tried and tested source. So yeah. for where as we said, right, World Health Organisation, SA Health, everything else is noise. Yep. This is what's happening in our own state. This is the guidance we're getting. This is what's happening internationally. And going and just looking at it once a day. Yeah. So you know you've got that information. Yeah. But then looking at the way in which you, you problem solve things and try not to, you know, look too far into the future because we weren't quite sure what was actually happening. Yeah, and the lens that you look through sometimes as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're, you know, you're feeling vulnerable at that period of time, how you actually view that information is going to be vastly different than if you've actually then just come up from your exercise and you're feeling very positive, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then the M was then about mindfulness, but being mindful of others. So um, we need to be mindful of the way in which we might behave or act will actually have an impact on somebody else, especially if we're spending all this time in our homes. So how do we become that little bit more conscientious of our behavior and the impact that might have on other people um, or the way in which we respond or the way in which we're actually communicating with each other? Yeah. So each of those steps and stages, uh, we're really then looking at these are sort of positive ways in which we actually measure our own mental health and well-being during this period of time. Yeah. Uh, and so Mike's now in the process of actually doing, well, what's the next stage just as we transition back to our new normal and whatever mm. new normal is? Yeah. Um, so he's, he's just working on in, in the next concept to really sort of encourage us to actually start to look at that transition. Yeah, and I think that's a, it's a really vulnerable time for everyone in what do you take from the COVID experience? What do you leave behind? What have you realised? And going back to the new normal, yeah. you know, I think there's a little bit of anxiety and I can feel that with my clients um, 
what does this look like now? <laughs> you know, and how do yeah. we manage that? And I think it's an ongoing process. Mm, it, I think it is. It's, um, I love the idea that someone said that uh, Mother Nature had told us that uh, we've all been naughty you to go to your bedrooms and you're not allowed out once until you can behave again. And I love yeah. that idea that it's, it's this sort of bit of a rain check. But it, but it is that, that true point, isn't it? You know, we've got an opportunity to reset. In our rush to get back to normal, do we want to go back to working mm. like we were, all the hours we were doing, the breakdown of relationships, the not having time for ourselves, et cetera? Or can we use this time and say, well, actually, during COVID, I've actually done this. I've, I've actually gone out for a daily walk. Um, for my team, um, we, we've blocked in an 11 o'clock coffee. Um, mm. Do we want to keep that? And why did we do that? We did that because we actually realized we needed to connect and we needed to have a normal conversation, which we weren't able to have if we were all in the office together. And when I asked the team, well, well, when we start to return to work, what are the things we want to to actually explore again? And they've all asked, can we keep the 11 o'clock coffee? Yeah, that's Because so cool. that was important for them to, to connect. Um, in, in the first week of, of, uh, of, of COVID, we all did your art class together mm. and, and they really enjoy that. We yeah. realise we're not really good at art and that's why we work in the charity arena. We don't need to be. Um, but we don't need to be. Um, <laughs> but it, it was interesting because we were looking at different ways in which, you know, from a culture of a new of a team coming together, how you can actually grow that mm. during COVID yeah. and how you might want to transition that when you come back out. So we want to build in time. So I think it is looking at what are the things that work really, really well. And I think when we look back in 10 years' time and our children are talking about COVID as being a part of their history lesson and they ask, you know, what do you actually remember about it? They'll remember the fact that they spent time with mum and dad. They did activities. They um, connected in different ways. They may not remember the reasons why or the rationale why or, or the health implications, but they'll talk about all those other connections. The so, connection. So, so mm. how do we maintain those and, and grow those for, for the next stage and what impact will that have on our well-being for the future? Yeah, definitely. There's some really good things to to sort of consider and ponder there. The thing that I um, find challenging when I have my own mental health stuff going on or, you know, when I sit with clients is there's all these self-care strategies, this is what we should be doing, but when you're struggling, it's actually really hard to even some days get out of bed. Mm. Um, What's your sort of advice for people when they feel a bit overwhelmed with all of this self-care and this is what you should do and... Um, thing like that. I know it's a big question. It's a big, big question (laughs) because I I agree, you know, um, when when a crisis occurs, all of a sudden we we develop a whole new range of specialists Mm. and, you know, everyone's got an opinion on everything. Um, So how do you actually filter that out? Uh, I think from a a research foundation perspective, um, we'd always go back to the conversation of, well, well, can you try and track, which has actually got evidence base. So we know the likes of, you know, Beyond Blue, Black Dog, all their strategies have got clear research methodology that sits behind it and why this is an intervention we should put into place. You know, the work with Mike and, and Stream, that's an evidence-based piece of work. Mm. Likes of uh, the Be Well plan that's come from Summary, evidence-based piece of work. So, so we should be looking at, you know, what's sitting there behind it um, and, and, and driving that. I think when you're then looking at, well, how do you not get overwhelmed? Um, set yourself small goals. Mm. You know, you don't have to solve world famine in one day. You do it in smaller chunks. So so how do we do that for our own well-being? So be kind to ourselves. Realise it's actually sometimes some days are, are tougher than other days. But um, how do we set goals that enable us to actually achieve smaller outcomes? So, so one, be kind to yourself. Two, set smaller achievable goals. Three, reflect on what you've actually achieved. You know, mm. and I didn't think I was going to do that today, but wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, we looked at this within in the team um, and um, we were chatting to you before about um, Graham Cowan, who's um, 
uh, aligned with are you okay and he 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 got us to or posed four questions to ask uh, you know well, well what did you achieve last week um what are your goals for this week and what might be the blocks and barriers that might stop you achieving those goals that we can help you with yeah that's a great Which, question, and and, isn't it? and i think that those concepts are you know it's it's, it's very clever but very simple and I think in the mental health world, um, my wife always says, you know, the mental answer to mental health is not rocket science. We just make it sound like it's rocket science because we've actually lost or forgotten that, that, that we're dealing with people. Yeah. Uh, and that people are all individual and everyone will do things in a slightly different way. Um, but if we simplify what we're trying to achieve, we've probably got a better outcome from that. Um, mm. So I think the stuff that Graham talks about does make that give those little steps and stages that you can actually build on. So I think with all this information that's going on there, find something that's comfortable for you. Yeah. Find a strategy that's comfortable for you, then stick with that. You'll have all your friends will be giving you hundreds of other things, and that might work for them, and that's great. But find something that's that's important to yeah. you that you can actually connect with. Yeah. And it will be different for everybody. Yeah, and that's really important and something that comes out in the art therapy sessions all the time of mm. what do I need right now? Mm. Yeah. 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 And sometimes it's giving yourself a break. Um, and not feeling like you have to do a thousand different things, but mm. doing what you need to get through the day. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very much so. So before we finish up, and I know you started with you wear your heart on your sleeve and um, have been working in this industry for a very long time. What's your main message that you would like people to know about mental health? My main message is that every one of us is unique. Mm. Every one of us is individual and we should never lose sight of that. Yeah. Yeah, that being human yeah. and we're all individuals. Mm. Yeah, mm. and I think, do you think during COVID that's been one of the, the great things is seeing people connect as human beings? Yeah, I think it's been it's been incredible. There's been you know, some beautiful examples of it, you know, that that, that power of, of um, the singing that took place on the verandas in, in Italy. Yeah. Um, through to, you know, some of the most incredible and ridiculous TikTok dances that everyone had been doing with families. <laughs> Um, you know, you've got those extremes that people are doing, but it, it has been incredible ways in which people have wanted to find ways to connect. So how do they, they when we come back, how do we still grow that and maintain that? How do yeah. we develop these new connections? But also be mindful that for some people, this isolation will have been really difficult yeah. and it might have actually really had a negative impact on their well-being. So that transition back to the new normal might be difficult for some people. Yeah. So how do we look out for, for those alterations and changes in our friends that, that might be struggling? Um, yeah. and, and what can we do to actually assist them? And again, keep it simple. Yeah, and connect, listen, mm. and ask the question. Yeah, definitely mm. ask the question. Yeah, thank you, John. I know we could speak about this for like days on end, <laughs> um, but it's been really rich to hear your perspective on all of these things, and I think um, there's lots of content here that... Um, it's very useful to people, so thank you for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, I'm not sure about the wisdom, but thank you for inviting yeah. me to come and talk. No worries, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Val. For show notes and more information about my guests, and to get in touch with me, visit igniteartherapies.com.au.